0: I'm Pastor Matt from Susquehanna Valley Church. We want to thank you again for coming out and worshiping with us. Uh, so glad that you're keeping kind of a routine and making God be a part of, of your time, uh, even though your time doesn't look like what it normally looks like. So I want to thank you for that. Hey, I want to let you know we've got a chat feature that's happening to the side of the video here. You're more than welcome to uh, to engage in that. Now, you might be a person who, like, the service time, that's sacred, you want to play pay 100% attention, then, that hey, that's great, just ignore that feature. But if you're a person that really misses out on some of the fellowship because we're not able to, to get together, consider that chat part kind of like the lobby. Feel free to engage and talk about different points that we're talking about. Uh, just say hi to each other. It's a time to really um, make the church feel like more than just a computer screen. So um, let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump right into it. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. For your promise to be with us, to be near us. God, I ask that um, through this season we grow. We grow closer to you. We grow as people who understand better how to love one another. We value the time we have together more. We appreciate the ability to slow down more. God, I pray this is a blessing to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we've been in the 2020 series, and we're going to wrap it up this morning, and kind of kind of bring it all to a conclusion. If you're just joining us for the first time, I want to let you know that we've been looking at life from the perspective of when you look back at it, and you consider things that happened a long time ago, you look at them more clearly. They say hindsight's 2020. And what we've been challenging you with is the idea of looking at the future, not with hindsight, but with foresight, that's 2020. And now I don't mean that you're going to figure out exactly what's going to happen, that, that'd be really nice. I remember Back to the Future and one of them where he goes and he gets a sports book that tells all the sports scores so he can gamble and make a lot of money. Look, that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is when you look back at your life, you see some of what worked and some of what didn't. And you really begin to value things the way that you should have done them. I want us to live for the future like we wish we lived in the past. And so we're going to be talking about something that I think is incredibly important to not just be able to look back at what we did in the past, but to be able to look at why we did it. See, I think when we look at the past our motivation shows crystal clear through it all. I think we understand not just what we did, but I think when we get past the anxiety of doing it and we get past just the act of actually doing it, the motivation becomes crystal clear. We start to understand why we said the things that we said. Maybe it was to get somebody to like us. Maybe it was get to, to, to get at somebody and hurt them. We understand why we spent money we spent. That's where buyer's remorse comes in, right? Where we feel bad and we, we think, man, I should have never done that. We realize we bought something just to fill a need. Or maybe the motivation was why you behave towards someone with spite. Look, we understand the motivation pretty clearly when we look back. Do you know what has an incredible amount of importance when we talk about the future? Your motivation why you do what you did. And you can see it crystal clearly in the past. I want you to see in the future, the why behind what you do is incredibly valuable. Life gains meaning, purpose, and value when we see the why in what we do. When we see the why behind our actions, we see the why behind the things that we say or the money that we spend. When we see the why, everything starts to to, to gain a little bit more significance. I, I want us to understand Not just the fact that we should want to be a hard worker or want to be a a, a good mom or a great dad. I want us to understand the why behind it. Why should I be a good citizen? Why should I be a supportive grandparent? Uh, Why why should I, I be a great friend? The why behind things is almost more important, and I would argue a lot of times more important than actually doing them. We've all had somebody do something just because they had to, or we all know somebody who did something, or us ourselves, we've done something for selfish purposes, and it's never quite as genuine as God intended it to be. So I want us to be on the same page with the why. We've been looking at this guy named Joseph and Joseph, an incredible guy. A lot of you have reached out to us via different uh, e- emails or social media messages to let us know you love Joseph. You love hearing about his, his life. Uh, uh, one of the guys from church who's uh, just a, a, a great guy to talk to, he, he gave me a call on the phone and was talking to me about how this, uh, this life of Joseph has been such an incredible reminder to him and, and just brought a joy to him in this time. So I love that that's happening. I love the life of Joseph, and I want want us to understand the why behind Joseph doing what he did because I think when we understand the why, it lets us act wisely when it's especially difficult to act wisely. I think if we understand the motivation, we have the right spirit about what God wants us do, to do, we can do it when it's especially difficult to do. See, let, let, let's get caught up on Joseph and his life, and then we're going to jump around and read some different passages. Joseph is a guy whose brothers hated him. They beat him with intention of killing him. They had a better plan to sell him as a slave. He becomes a slave. Um, as as a slave, he's a hard worker, or earns the trust of his slave master, rises to the top of, of the the household, where he's framed by the wife of the slave master, thrown in jail. He spends a long period of time in the jail. He meets a cupbearer. The cupbearer is somebody who who remembers him eventually when he gets out of prison. Joseph ends up in front of Pharaoh, second in command of all of Egypt, and he's there uh, and he's he's raised to the point where, where he is really the one administering good to the entire nation of Egypt. The scene of the story shifts, and a great famine falls all over, all over the nation of Egypt and over what was Joseph's homestead as a child as well. And so the story's going to shift to a time where Joseph's family is going to need to travel to Egypt to re, to to get new supplies, more food to be able to survive. We're going to pick it up at that point where Joseph and his father Jacob, in Genesis chapter 4, Joseph's father Jacob is about to send his sons off to get more food from the land of Egypt. Genesis 42 and verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And so they set off on a journey, leaving their homestead to go to Egypt to get food so that they can survive the famine. Um, And just as God has so masterfully orchestrated, they go to get food in Egypt, having no clue that the guy that they're asking for food, who's in charge of the whole nation of Egypt, happens to be their brother Joseph. The same guy they beat many years ago, the same guy they sold off as a slave many years ago, and they go to get food, and Joseph's their guy. And at that moment, when they approach him, Joseph recognizes them, but they have no clue that Joseph is who he is. They've got no idea that they're walking up to their brother who they just assume is is dead at this point. They approach him. Um, And and the the fact that Joseph is alive and well is the furthest thing from their mind. It's been several decades. uh, And and really, I'm going to summarize three or four chapters of the scriptures here. They go before Joseph. Joseph knows them, and he pretends like he doesn't. And he sends them on a journey so that he brings their whole, their whole family is brought before him so he can reveal himself to them together in Genesis chapter 45. And what is an extremely emotional reveal, we pick it up in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one left with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. I don't know about you, but I'm just absolutely amazed at the statement that Joseph makes here. This is incredible because if you or I were in the position of Joseph and we were revealing our identity and we had the opportunity to get even, to pay back, I mean, Joseph could do whatever he wants. He's practically in charge of the entire nation of Egypt at this point. And he looks at them and he makes this incredible statement, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves. If you were in his shoes, I want to ask you to think, How would you honestly answer the question if you were finishing the second half of that statement? If you were standing there before the ones who wronged you and you had every opportunity to punish them and to get back at them, how would you finish the sentence, I'm the one you sold? What would your words be in that setting? Would you say, I'm the one you sold and now it's my turn to get back at you? I'm the one you sold, and I've been thinking about this for decades, and I've got the perfect plan for how to deal with you. I'm the one you sold. Your life's never going to be the same. I'm the one you sold. You're going to be sorry and wish you never met me. How would you end it? Because when you think about Joseph and the way that he finishes that statement, it's miraculous to look at the love that he has. I'm the one you sold. Don't be distressed and don't be angry. I think those statements are absolutely beautiful. I think they're beautiful because they remind us of Jesus' love. There are so many parallels between the way that Joseph acts and the way that Jesus will one day act as well. That, That Joseph is able to say, you wronged me. I suffered. I forgive you. I don't want you to be stressed, and I don't want you to be angry. He doesn't just want to give them forgiveness, but the grace that Joseph shows them actually wants him to remove any shame that they could experience, where he's saying, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to feel bad about this anymore. Don't be distressed about the things that you've done that have wronged me, that have harmed me. I just want you to enjoy the fact that we're at a place where God wants to do some amazing things, and I want us to enjoy it. Joseph is a source of grace, not drama. He could be drama-centered, and he could say, you're in for it now. I've got my opportunity. This is my moment to crush you, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. He's all about them experiencing grace without the shame, which I want you to know there's those things in our past that when we think about them, they feel brand new. We get embarrassed, some of us even visibly. If we were to remember some of the worst things we've done, you could tell we look embarrassed because it feels new on our face. Jesus wants you to experience grace without shame. He wants you to experience grace without the misery of you punishing yourself for a sin that he already paid for. What you did was wrong, and he dealt with it on the cross. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love listening to a theologian named Colin Smith. I've actually just recently found some of his stuff. But one of the things that he talks about is we take our sin and we bring it under the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus shed his blood, he paid for our sins, And I'm going, my past Jesus, I bring it under your blood. It's no longer mine. It belongs to you. And if you can do that, you get to experience grace without the shame. And I love the way that Joseph gives his brothers grace without shame. He doesn't want them to pay for it anymore. I think Joseph reveals to us his heart. And as he does, he reveals to us the why behind what he does. He does the things that he does, not because he he wants the credit, not because he wants the glory. He does them because he loves Jesus Christ. And he wants us to see his why influences life. The motivation teaches him two things primarily. The first one is this. His motivation to love God teaches him why moments matter. Why the little things in life can be a big deal. Why moments matter because God is doing something through them. And Joseph could take those opportunities for himself. He could make them about his power, his promotion, and his glory. But instead, Joseph wants to do it for God. And he's concerned about God's greatness and God's glory and God's plan through it all. If you want the absolute best that God has for you in life, this is what you need to know. And I cannot stress this too much. Full life abundant life that God wants you to have the most satisfying life comes when you make the motivation of your life match God's motivation for history. When you make make the motivation for life match God's motivation for history. If it's about God getting the glory as you love Him and love other people, when the why you do what you do coincides with Him, when why you wake up, why you go to work, why you're a loving mom and why you're a caring dad or why you're a supportive grandparent, when the why matches God's why for history, that's when life gets as good as it can be. What you'll find is there are things in life that tempt us and those temptations are all about exchanging the why for you as, or the why for God and making it a why for you. Temptation comes along and it takes an action and it gives you an opportunity to do life for you or to do life for God. And temptation is trying to replace the why behind what what you do in life. Temptation is an invitation to miss out on the preparation and the prospects that God has for you. It's inviting you to a different path, to walk a different life to have a different journey than the one that God has for you. And you'll miss out, you'll sidestep some of the great things that God has for you because temptation is either going to be an opportunity for you to be solidified on the path that God has, or it's going to pull you to the side and take you off course. There's no temptation that I think is more more really impactful and really, I'll say, even important to God than the temptation for how we treat each other the temptation for whether or not we interact with other people with grace. I think people are incredibly important to God and I think grace is incredibly important to God. And the temptation to behave towards other people with or without grace, I think are some of the greatest moments, the biggest deals in our life. People are cherished by God and grace is so central to the heart of everything that he's doing so that how we treat him how we treat them And when we have the chance to hurt them, becomes some of the most defining moments in our life. Joseph, when he's in power and he's standing before his brothers who are kneeling down in front of them, wondering whether or not they're going to breathe another day, they're going to wake up for tomorrow, he looks at them with an unparalleled opportunity for revenge, but he also knows it's an unparalleled opportunity for grace. And his integrity, which we've looked at throughout this this entire series, his integrity calls him to understand the gravity of the opportunity in front of him. That this is a profound moment in his life, the life of his brothers, the life of his family, and anybody who's ever going to hear about this story. He may not get another chance at this. And so if he gets it right, there's a good chance that God's going to do something big. When you understand the why of life, that God is doing what he's doing for his glory so that we love him and we love other people, then the moments of life don't seem so small. They seem like moments where we can have a genuine influence to love the people around us and maybe, just maybe, God's going to do something big, especially when it deals with other people and especially when it deals with showing other people grace. Here's how you can get here because it's the second thing that Joseph sees that is so profoundly important, you get to understand that other people's attacks aren't all they see. While other people have a why in their life, and that why sometimes might be directed to hurt you, maybe the reason behind what they do, like they say words just to make you feel a certain way, or they exclude you from doing something to to make you feel like you don't belong, or they just... Don't have time for you. The why of other people, what Joseph understands, the why of other people is overruled by the why of God. Other people may do things for certain reasons, but the reasons of God are up here unaffected by it all. People have reasons for why they do what they do, and when they're done against you, they could easily throw a wrench into your plans. It could easily distort things as you wanted them to be, but here's what you must understand. While other people can throw a wrench into your plans, they cannot throw a wrench into the plans of God. The plans of God are unaffected and untouched by the people around us. They can do what they want, but it's not gonna throw him off. And I was thinking about that with my own life, and what that meant for me was then the moments where I didn't think God knew what he was doing are really moments where I was learning what it actually meant to trust God. See, this is why... This is why we understand that God's greater purpose is there even when other people have an attempt to pain us. Why others' attacks aren't all they seem. Because on one level, it seems like God doesn't know what he's doing. On another level, it seems like God is entirely in charge and knows just what he's doing. This is why Joseph could be gracious because he saw the moving force in his life was not the people around him. It was the God above him. And so even though there were people directly active in changing the course of his life, the big picture of what God was doing was never distorted. You see it crystal clear in Genesis 45 and verse 6. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. You meant evil. God all along meant good. You meant evil. God meant good. Joseph's going, Joseph's going, that if you never did the things that you've done, God would never be doing the things that he's doing. It's an amazing amount of perspective, an amazing amount of wisdom for Joseph to go. If if my brothers never threw me in a pit, I would never be sold as a slave. If I was never sold as a slave, I'd never wind up in Pharaoh's house. If I was never in Pharaoh's house, I never would be wrongfully accused by his wife. If I was never wrongfully accused by his wife, I'd never be in jail. If I was never in jail, I'd never be, meet a cut If I never met a cut I'd never interpret a dream. If I never interpreted a dream, I'd never interpret Pharaoh's dream. If I never met Pharaoh, I never would have been second in command of all of Egypt. If I never was raised to this point, our whole family would have been done. God had a plan all along. If you think this was about you, me, and a pit, you can't fathom the mysterious plans of God. If you think this is a story about a wicked woman, man, you underestimate the power of what God's doing. If you think this is about a wrong jail sentence, You have no concept and no clue about the way that God's working because his hand was working behind, in, and through it all. This isn't about you. It's not about me. This is about God and what he's doing and the fact that he's in control. Joseph knows that the purpose and plans of God are untouchable to even the wisest schemes of humanity. And he says to his brothers, this wasn't about you. Let go of your pain, let go of your suffering from it. I've let go of it because I understand that your attacks aren't all that they seem, that there's something bigger than you involved in all of this. There's something bigger than me in all of this. You know what Joseph is teaching us and what Jesus is gonna pick up on when Jesus comes along and he teaches about grace and the way that we treat other people because we understand that there's something bigger than the attempts other people have to, to try to hurt us Joseph and Jesus are teaching us the reality that the opportunity for grace is greater than the opportunity for revenge. That grace is more gratifying than revenge. You know what what grace side by side with revenge is like? You know what it's like? Imagine for a second if you went into to like the greatest bakery in the whole world, and of course you knew it would be about food with me when it came to an illustration. But so just imagine you went into the greatest bakery in all the world, and you walk in, and they've just opened up. The smell of the aroma of freshly break, baked bread is just it, it hits you, and it's so satisfying. And, and you walk up, and you see the display, and they take out some some freshly baked loaves, and they set them in front of you, and, and you go to order and you say excuse me do you have any stale crumbs do you have anything that's a couple weeks old and is really not that good anymore that's what choosing revenge when you have an opportunity to show grace is like revenge is like is choosing moldy leftovers instead of instead of a fry, a fine dining experience see Revenge is like the stuff that you really don't want. And for some reason, you find yourself looking at it and thinking maybe this is, maybe this is appetizing. And grace is so much more gratifying When you have grace, and I mean grace as grace as God designed it, where it's without the stipulations, where I'll forgive you if you change, and if you don't do anything like that again, then I'll I'll forgive you, I'll love you. When you take the stipulations away from grace and you let grace be grace, grace is always sweeter, healthier, and more satisfying than revenge ever could be. Ever could be. Way, way better. You know why? Because grace has got to get you. I get that you love me. I get that you forgave me. And, and to be honest with you, I love the way you love me. And I love the way you saved me. I love the way you changed me. And in fact, I love it so much that I'm not content being the only human being on this planet to experience it. And, and I love it so much that it inspires me to look at the way that other people have wronged me and I want them to experience I love grace so much. I love that That satisfying, delicious aroma and flavor and taste of bread that I want to share it with somebody else. I want the person who wronged me to be delighted in the same grace that I am. Grace is way more gratifying than revenge. Listen to the grace as Joseph speaks to his brothers in Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I, I love it. Am I in the place of God? Am I going to be judge of this all? Did I orchestrate this all? No, I couldn't have. But you know what I can do? I can give you grace. And its it's It's only the grace of God that leads him to consider his offenders. Look at the compassion he has. He wants to remove their fear. He wants to remove their shame. He wants to remove their anxiety. He wants to remove their uncertainty. He wants to take them out of a place where where he could punish them, where he could give them revenge. He wants to bless them. I, I love this. I love it because I've lived it. I love it because that's what God's been for me. You know why? Because when you look at Joseph and you're impressed with Joseph, do you know why you're impressed with Joseph? Do you know why you look at Joseph and you say, wow, that's incredible? Do you know why? Because when you look at Joseph, you know what you see? You see glimpses of Jesus Christ. The the good and compassionate brother, that's Jesus. The guy who forgives those who made him suffer, that's Jesus. The one who wants to release others of their wrong, bless them out of their abundance, that's Jesus. The one who wants to provide a future for them that doesn't have worry, that's also Jesus. When we look at Joseph and we say, wow, look at his integrity, look at his love, look at his kindness, look at his mercy, look at his compassion and his grace, you know what you're saying? Look at the glimpses of Jesus Christ in his life. You know why I want you to have integrity? Because I want other people to see glimpses of Jesus Christ in you. I want them to look at your kindness. I want them to look at your grace. And I want them to see a little bit of Jesus Christ in you. There's nothing sweeter, there's nothing better than the grace of Jesus Christ. We are a church that's gonna be a source of grace. I want you to be a source of grace. There's nothing more exciting than giving grace out to other people in life. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you. We wouldn't even know what grace was if it weren't for you. And Lord, I want us to be a church. And Lord, I want this to feel like church right now. I want us to feel the community of our brothers and sisters in Christ watching this together, inspired by your love. God, I want us to know your love newly right now. And I don't want us to be a church that knows a tiny bit of grace. I don't want us to be a church that knows casual grace. I want us to be a church that knows amazing, endless grace. Grace when it's difficult, when we've got to think about it, when we've got to pray about it. I want us to know grace because we've shown it. And, Lord, I want us to love you all the more because of your grace. In your son's name we pray. Amen.